Welcome back to the Rights and Liberties Podcast, where we are discussing the Federalist Papers. Today we will talk about Federalist 49. We often begin these podcasts by pointing to three big ideas from the essay under examination. Here are three big ideas from Federalist 49. Big Idea 1. Thomas Jefferson in 1783 had proposed a plan for the government of the state of Virginia to prevent one branch of government from usurping the prerogatives of another. In Federalist 49, Madison analyzed that proposal. Big Idea 2. In analyzing Jefferson's ideas, Madison offered a defense of stability in government and associated this point with a related concern. The likelihood, as Madison saw it, that such a plan would appeal to the passions of the population rather than to their reason. Big Idea 3. In analyzing Jefferson's ideas, Madison pointed to another concern. His view was that the mechanics of Jefferson's proposal made it unlikely to succeed in maintaining what he called, quote, constitutional equilibrium, end quote. So Madison began Federalist 49 by praising Jefferson and his plan, which was intended to protect against one branch of government from usurping the powers of another. The way it would work was through a Virginia state constitutional provision that set conditions for constitutional revision. Quoting Jefferson is found in Federalist 49, quote, that whenever any two of the three branches of government shall concur in opinion, each by the voices of two-thirds of their whole number, that a convention is necessary for altering the Constitution or correcting breaches of it, a convention shall be called for the purpose. Madison went on to point to the justification of such a position in his own voice, quoting Madison here, As the people are the only legitimate fountain of power, and it is from them that the constitutional charter under which the several branches of government hold their power, is derived. It seems strictly consonant to the Republican theory to recur to the same original authority, not only whenever it may be necessary to enlarge, diminish, or new model the powers of the government, but also whenever any one of the departments may commit encroachments on the chartered authorities of the others. End quote. This is a theoretical case that Madison described but its theoretical character was suggestive of the limited nature of the potential justification here. Quoting Madison, quote, There is certainly great force in this reasoning, and it must be allowed to prove that a constitutional road to the decision of the people ought to be marked out and kept open for certain great and extraordinary occasions. But there appear to be insuperable objections against the proposed recurrence to the people as a provision in all cases for keeping the several departments of power within their constitutional limits, end quote. So that is Big Idea 1, Jefferson's idea to keep the branches of government from usurping one another's power, and Madison's initial explanation of it on its own terms. Now, Madison had a number of criticisms of this plan. We will bring many of them together in what follows. Big Idea 2 is focused in part on the question of the stability of government, quoting Madison here. As every appeal to the people would carry an implication of some defect in the government, frequent appeals would, in a great measure, deprive the government of that veneration which time bestows on everything, and without which perhaps the wisest and freest governments would not possess the requisite stability. One sees the opposition here. From Jefferson, the need to redress difficulties in government, a case for change. 
from Madison the need to foster stability in government, not change. Madison, in explaining why he took this position, referred to the role of opinion in politics, quoting Madison here, quote, If it be true that all governments rest on opinion, it is no less true that the strength of opinion in each individual and its practical influence on his conduct depend much on the number which he supposes to have entertained the same opinion. The reason of man, like man himself, is timid and cautious when left alone, and acquires firmness and confidence in proportion to the number with which it is associated. End quote. This is a pretty complex claim. The government rests on opinion. Opinion is a function of human reason. But human reason works differently when people are in a social situation, at least if they agree on Madison's account. You may also know that it looks like it has implications about majoritarian politics. The last sentence of the quotation seems to point to a psychological characteristic that increases as the number of those in agreement increases. Madison described what was at stake given this feature of human reason. Quote, the danger of disturbing the public tranquility by interesting too strongly the public passions is a still more serious objection against a frequent reference of constitutional questions to the decision of the whole society, end quote. You may have already anticipated a puzzle that Mad Madison had to confront. It looks as if Madison was emphasizing the virtue of stability as against the risks of change in his analysis. Now, the previous decade and a half had been a period of significant political change, whether speaking of the composition of state constitutions or the attempt to replace the Articles of Confederation itself. Quoting Madison here, quote, Notwithstanding the success which has attended the revisions of our established forms of government, and which does so much honor to the virtue and intelligence of the people of America, it must be confessed that the experiments are of too ticklish a nature to be unnecessarily multiplied, end quote. Indeed, the American Revolution itself was a very significant political change, significant not just because it replaced one mode of rule with another, but also for the effect that the revolution had on the minds of its participants. Quoting Madison on this point, quote, We are to recollect that all the existing constitutions were formed in the midst of a danger which repressed the passions most unfriendly to order and concord, of an enthusiastic confidence of the people in their patriotic leaders, which stifled the ordinary diversity of opinions on great national questions, of a universal ardor for new and opposite forms produced by a universal resentment and indignation against the ancient government. And whilst no spirit of party connected with the changes to be made or the abuses to be reformed could mingle its leaven in the operation, the future situations in which we must expect to be usually placed do not present any equivalent security against the danger which is apprehended. End quote. The revolution fostered a distinctive mindset on this account, and that implied that the policy solutions and political frameworks that were generated during the revolutionary period might well be, if not obsolete, then at least grounded in facts that had changed. Though Madison didn't put it this way directly, he allowed readers to draw the conclusion that the change from the revolutionary period over the previous decade and a half had been significant and justified change, but that this change was both necessary and an exception to the general rule that stability is better fostered through avoiding significant structural political change. 
So that is Big Idea 2, which brings together Madison's views about the importance of stability in government and his views about the potential hazards of politics swayed by popular passions through an understanding of the exceptional situation of the revolution. Big Idea 3 refers to Madison's views on the likelihood that a plan such as Jefferson's would work practically. Having gone through a few objections to Jefferson's ideas on this point, Madison continued, quote, but the greatest objection of all is that the decisions which would probably result from such appeals would not answer the purpose of maintaining the constitutional equilibrium of the government. We have seen that the tendency of Republican governments is to an aggrandizement of the legislative at the expense of the other departments. The appeals to the people, therefore, would usually be made by the executive and judiciary departments." End quote. One of the puzzles about applying a plan, such as Jefferson's plan for Virginia, described above, to the U.S. Constitution, was that the composition of the branches was, of government was not uniform. Quoting Madison here, quote, The members of the executive and judiciary branches are few in number, and can be personally known to a small part only of the people. Madison's description of the legislature, by contrast, suggests the main difference. Quoting Madison once again, quote, the nature of their public trust implies a personal influence among the people, and that they are more immediately the confidential guardians of the rights and liberties of the people. With these advantages, it can hardly be supposed that the adverse party would have an equal chance for a favorable issue. But the legislative party would not only be able to plead their cause most successfully with the people, they would probably be constituted themselves the judges." End quote. So, Madison conceived of Jefferson's plan in the following way. If one branch seems to be acting unconstitutionally, the other two branches can call for a constitutional convention to bring the matter before the people. But, because part of the function of the legislature is to represent the people, Jefferson's plan might be less a way to sidestep internal conflicts by appeal to an external authority than an accidental strengthening of the position of the legislature because the appeal would be to those that elect the legislature. Recall that Madison believed the legislature the branch most likely to try to usurp the prerogatives of other branches. Because of this, he saw the plan as most likely directed at legislative malfeasance, and the Constitutional Convention convened under the plan as likely swayed by those tied to the legislature. Madison thought this approach to handling the separation of powers problem ill-suited, even under the best of circumstances. Quoting Madison on this point, quote, It might, however, sometimes happen that appeals would be made under circumstances less adverse to the executive and judiciary departments. The usurpations of the legislature might be so flagrant and so sudden as to admit of no specious coloring. A strong party among themselves might take side with the other branches, and the executive power might be in the hands of a peculiar favorite of the people. In such a posture of things, the public decision might be less swayed by prepossessions in favor of the legislative party. But still, it could never be expected to turn on the true merits of the question. It would inevitably be connected with the spirit of pre-existing parties or of parties springing out of the question itself." End quote. Madison closed this line of argument by returning to the language of passion and reason that we saw deployed earlier. In the context of such a con constitutional convention, Madison thought that any decision reached, quote, would be pronounced by the very men who had been agents in, or opponents of, the measures to which the decision would relate. 
The passions, therefore, not the reason of the public, would sit in judgment. But it is the reason alone of the public that ought to control and regulate the government. The passions ought to be controlled and regulated by the government. End quote. We often close these podcasts with a discussion of the relevance of the essay under review for politics today and tomorrow. We've already seen defenses of the amendment process as found in the Constitution in prior podcasts, but it is worth wondering about the extent to which Madison's argument against Jefferson's ideas, as outlined in Federalist 49, rested on an understanding of the legislative branch that is less apt now. Madison sought to distinguish the legislative branch from the other branches, with specific reference to the members of the legislative branch, quoting Madison here, quote, They are distributed and dwell among the people at large. Their connections of blood, of friendship, and of acquaintance embrace a great proportion of the most influential part of the society. The nature of their public trust implies a personal influence among the people, and that they are more immediately the confidential guardians of the rights and liberties of the people, end quote. The significant increase in the population of the USA has not resulted in a proportional increase in the number of members of Congress. Madison pointed both to potential connections to the people in general and potential connections to elites. But in both cases, there seems less justification than perhaps there once was for asserting the existence of the kinds of connections that Madison described in this quotation. The increase in the population of individual districts has changed, and that, I think it is fair to say, cannot help but change interactions by members of Congress with those living in their districts. Thank you for listening to the Rights and Liberties podcast. For more about the Sunwater Institute, please visit our website at sunwater.org.